Good morning, everyone. I want to uh, invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and take your seats. And we will move into our time of teaching and looking into God's Word uh, together this morning. So my name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho. And I don't know if, if you've had this experience, but sometimes I get asked by people, so like, what kind of a church is Jericho Ridge? Which, you know, I'm never quite sure what they're asking there, so you have to try and kind of get a read on things. But sometimes people will follow it up with like a leading suggestion as to what they're looking for. So they'll say things like, so is Jericho Ridge a charismatic church? To which I say to them, oh yes, most definitely. And sometimes the person then that I'm in conversation with says, but I thought you were Mennonite brethren. How could that be possible? And if the person has a sense of humor, then I'll say, well, we're kind of a Menocostal church. Um, and either they're laughing or by that time they're totally mad at me and confused. So an article I was reading this week in Direction Journal rightly suggests that what's happened in this discussion is when someone asks you, is your church a charismatic church, is that the term charismatic has actually become... Um, co-opted or adopted and taken by most people to mean, does your church permit speaking in tongues? Do you talk about healings, miracles, all kinds of stuff? And then we begin to divide the world into charismatic churches and non-charismatic churches. But see, the question, is your church charismatic, if someone ever asks you that, it's a trick question. Don't fall into the trick. Because the Greek word charismata, it's used 17 times in the New Testament, and it means a gift of God's grace. So really, if you define it in that way, using the New Testament, then every single church is a charismatic church. Because every church should be a place where the Spirit is at work in and through his gifts. And so the question really should not be, is your church charismatic or non-charismatic? There should be no non-charismatic churches. It's really more the question of what particular gifts of His grace has God given your church, and then how are you activating those, discerning them, calling them out, developing them, and deploying them in a way that honors God and is consistent with your framework that He's given to you. And so that's the heart behind our current teaching series this fall called Unleashed, Living and Walking in the Power of the Spirit and the Gifts of the Spirit. Because we've been moving through and discussing various ways that we can live and walk in the gifts of the Spirit. So we've talked about what is a spiritual gift and why would we want them. We've talked about um, gifts of prophecy and healing. And today we're going to talk about what's maybe one of the most misunderstood gifts and maybe one of the more controversial ones, and that is the gift of speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. So as we move into this conversation, there's a few things that I want to say right off the bat. And the first thing is, just take a deep breath. Acknowledge that diversity exists and that not only in the global church family, but also in this room, there is an amazing diversity of opinion, experiences, and expression on the gift of tongues. I mean, there's tons of debate about this gift. 
Should it even be a gift? What is it? Why is it given? When is it given? How should you properly use it, if at all? And so we're going to dig into a couple of key biblical passages that talk about it this morning. But even looking at those passages, there is lots of different ways that different people go about discerning and coming to conclusions on what those passages are about. So, we'll just say right off the top, this is not a hill to die on, and it's not a hill to kill anyone on. So, acknowledge diversity on this topic. But it's helpful for us to discuss it, because if we're simply silent on this topic or other topics or gifts, we can create a culture in a community like Jericho Ridge where people say, okay, you talk about Jericho being a place where the gifts of the Spirit are welcome, but you don't talk about this gift, that gift, or the other gift. So, is that gift really welcome here or not? And so, one of our values is authentic community, and we desire and hope that you would bring the gifts that God has given you by His Spirit here to the service of the building up of the body in meaningful ways, in authentic ways. So, today we're going to talk about this and we're going to proceed in threes. So, we have three biblical passages to look at, three big questions that come up in the text, three possible manifestations of the gift of, or of tongues and interpretation of tongues, and then to keep consistent, three application points. So, I guess that's really four sets of threes, so I'm kind of breaking the rule there. But, let's jump in and we're going to look at three biblical passages that deal with the gift of tongues. So, as uh, Anabaptists, one of the perspectives that we'll often ask when we think about a topic that is taught in the Scriptures is, did Jesus say anything about it? And you might think, well, Jesus never said anything about tongues. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. You might be surprised to discover that Jesus actually did address this issue. Jesus says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will condemn, be condemned. And then verse 17, these miraculous signs will accompany all those, will accompany rather those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages. They'll speak in new tongues. Fascinating to me how much airtime Mark 16, 15 gets. The Great Commission, a very familiar text, taught on lots of sermons and discussions, and yet how relatively little airtime is given to some of the other parts that Jesus gave his church in that particular text. Jesus anticipated that his followers would experience and express this gift in Mark 16, 17. Fast forwarding then to the book of Acts, chapter 2. This is maybe one of the more familiar expressions of the gift in the New Testament. It's on the day of Pentecost, and the believers are gathered and praying together. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, everyone that was present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And so people from all over the world that are gathered there for the Feast of Pentecost are bewildered that they can hear these Galileans speaking in their own languages, and they're amazed, and they say, how can this be? 
What's going on? We have record in Acts 2 of at least 15 different language groups or people groups that are represented and mentioned. And yet the text says they each heard them in their own languages speaking about the wonderful things that God had done. And so one of the things for us to pay attention to here in Acts chapter 2 is that all through the book of Acts, one of the primary evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit is a capacity for bold witness, declaring the works of God. See, friends, when you or I is filled with the Spirit of Jesus, we are empowered for witness and for mission. We are given it for a purpose. You've been given a charismata, a gift for a purpose. That purpose is amongst so many other things that we've talked about in this series, love, unity, the building of others up. One of the purposes that God has given you a gift is to bear witness to Jesus and his work in the world and in your life. And so in Acts chapter 2, as the believers begin to speak out in other languages, as they declare the works of God, conviction falls on the hearers, and they're led to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. Tongues, in this particular expression of it actually has an evangelistic purpose that unbelievers come to saving faith in this. They ask questions. Here I think about an experience that I had many years ago, and I've shared this here before in Cuba when we were doing ministry there. And I was in high school, and uh, we were doing ministry in a local church and a seminary there, and um, having outreach campaigns, and so I was praying. They asked if I'd pray with this group of pastors. I said, sure, I'd be willing to do that. So I began, I said, well, I need a translator. So we found somebody, and then I began praying uh, in English. Then I would pause and wait. This gal would translate it into Spanish. Then all the pastors would, couldn't understand what I was saying. None of them spoke English. I didn't speak any Spanish. So we went on like this for a while. And after a while, I noticed that the translator had stopped talking. And I kind of nudged her and said, you're going to want to keep up. Uh, and she said, no, 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 we're, we're good. And I'm like, no, what do you mean we're good? And she says, no, uh, they've all, I've checked with all of them, and they report that they can hear, they understand what you're praying. I'm like, well, that's not possible because they don't speak English, so that's not really going to work. You just need to keep translating. She's like, no, 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 I do not understand how this is happening. I, you're praying in English, and they're all understanding what you say in Spanish. And I'm checking in with them and making sure that this is what's happening. And she says, it's something is going on spiritually here that, these, that, that this is happening live. And she wasn't a Christian. And she said, this can only be the work of God. And we said, yes and amen. It's true. It was an incredible time there. Then she began to relate this to other people and say, you know, something is going on with this group of Christians because things supernaturally are happening here in this place. And we had opportunity to tell many people about Jesus as a result of that. Well, let's look at our third text, and it's the, it's the significant chunk of real estate in the New Testament uh, that's devoted to the discussion and the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. It's in 1 Corinthians, and Paul talks a lot about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and then all of chapter 14. And one of the things that he says quite clearly at the end of chapter 14, verse 39, is he says, whatever else you want to take away from this discussion, don't forbid speaking in tongues. It's 
So we're going to come back to parts of 1 Corinthians 14. But I want us to remember here in 1 Corinthians that Paul is writing to a, a group of Christians gathered in the city of Corinth, and he's writing to them to address specific questions that they asked him. And one of those questions that they seem to be quite interested in him answering is, what should we do with the gift of tongues? It's creating challenges for us. And when it comes to the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues, I think there's three big questions that we really should be wrestling with to have some integrity with the way that we look at the text. So the first big question, number one, is the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, is it for nobody, somebody, or everybody? Now, that's because, the reason that this is a big question is because there's groups within the church that hold to various stances on this particular gift. So there's one group of individuals, they're known as cessationalists, and they would argue that miraculous gifts, including tongues, were given by the Spirit to demonstrate original apostolic authority. And so once the church was founded and the original apostles passed away, that those gifts passed away with them and that they were given by the Spirit for that particular era of church history, and now they're no longer needed in any way. So they would look at a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, and in verse 8, where it says, prophecy and tongues will cease, and they will say, you see, tongues and prophecy have a shelf life. And we think that they've passed their best before date and expired. Now, if you keep reading in 1 Corinthians 13, you can see that the text is talking about actually when we come to complete knowledge and revelation of Christ in all of his fullness. So it's likely talking about the time when we see Jesus face to face and our need for prophetic revelation and special knowledge and tongues at that point, because we're in heaven, will cease. And so yes, we'll have full knowledge. But I just want to highlight for us that there are Christian brothers and sisters who believe that tongues is not a gift for today and that no one should have any business in seeking it. And so we need to have respectful conversation with them and understand that they're not trying to misrepresent the scriptures. They're just coming to different set of conclusions with regarding to this particular gift and this set of gifts. And so they're suggesting that the gift of tongues is not for anybody for today. Now, way over on the other end of the spectrum, we have some branches of the Christian movement that believe, that suggest either explicitly or just suggest it implicitly that the gift of tongues is the primary evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so if you don't speak in tongues, well, then clearly you're not filled with the Spirit. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and verses 10 and 11. Because Paul makes an argument here for a broader understanding of the gifts of the Spirit. In verse 7, he starts off and says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. And then he talks about varieties of gifts. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages or various tongues, while another person is given the ability to interpret what's being said. It's the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts, and He alone decides which gift each 
person should have. And then at the end of the chapter, Paul clarifies even more in verse 29 and 30 when he asks a series of rhetorical questions and then answers them. He says, are we all apostles? No, is the answer to that. Are we all prophets? Do we all have gift of prophecy? No. Are we all teachers? No. Do we all have the ability and the power to do miracles? No. Do we all have the gift of healing? No. Do we all have the ability to speak in an unknown language? Do we have tongues? No. Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not, he says. So Paul seems to be answering and asking his own questions and making a point. And his point is this. We all get gifts. No one person gets all of the gifts. But also, no one gift has been given to everybody. So, to say that if you have not spoken in tongues, that you're not a real Christian, or you're not filled with the Spirit, and you should get your act together, is, I think, pretty hurtful. And I think it's created a lot of weird dynamics in the Christian church. When I went to high school, we were involved in one of the largest charismatic churches in Canada. And I can remember friends pretending to speak in tongues so that they could fit in because that was what you had to be, you had to be kind of an evidence that you were kind of in the really spirit-filled club. Kind of weird damage do you have to do to your theology and to your personhood to try and pretend that you have a spiritual gift, to try and fit in with a group of people and be accepted. Remember, our definition of spiritual gift is it's anything that can be used as a resource for ministry or an occasion for God's grace to be shown. And so our goal here at Jericho is to help you discern and unleash what it is that God has given to you, not dictate to you or declare that he's given all of you one particular gift. So, the answer to the question is that uh, we're not cessationalists. We don't believe that the gifts have ceased. And at Jericho, we would say that, you know, that's one gift and the possession of that one gift, regardless of which gift it is, does not make you some kind of a super Christian and everybody doesn't get the same gift, which means that we're somewhere in the middle. We believe that some people here will experience and express the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. So that's the big question number one. The second big question that people get into a lot of fights about is, so is tongues an earthly or heavenly language? Because in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul starts out and he says, if I could speak with all of the languages of earth and of angels, so languages of earth and heaven, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. See, Paul actually at one time talks about an experience that he had that was so um, compelling and so moving for him that he actually couldn't even describe it. He talks about being caught up into heaven. And so I think he'd be in a better position than me or theologians or anybody to definitively talk about what he saw or heard there. But even with that experience, he doesn't want to get definitive on whether tongues is an earthly or heavenly language. See, he's on again about his main point, that love, not the gifts, is to be our highest goal. But remember, in Acts chapter 2, clearly there is 
some kind of a relationship between the gift of tongues and human languages because we saw the disciples were given ability to speak in languages that they did not naturally possess and learn. So, one question that we should ask is, what possible use could God have for something like that? Well, thankfully, we have some linguists amongst us that have some, I think, interesting experiences to share a little bit with us about that. So, I'm going to ask Steve Nicole if uh, he would share a little bit. Steve and his wife, Allie, are members with Wycliffe Bible Translators, recent proud recipients of their permanent residence cards for here in Canada. <laughs> so, Steve, can you talk just a little bit about your story and your experiences um, in terms of languages and working with languages? What's that look like for you? And are there times when you feel like God's given you a unique gift around that? So. Okay, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, Ali and I are linguists, and uh, we've got some budding linguists here, so Jesse is studying linguistics. And um, being a linguist in that sense of you know, studying language doesn't necessarily mean that you're great at speaking languages. Uh, you know, I have trouble with English. Um, <laughs> the father of one of my students uh, came up to me um, one time. It was at the kind of graduation uh, celebration, and he said, oh... For ages, I thought that you had a speech defect, and then I realized that you were British. Um, so it's a bit like, you know, if you're a mechanic, uh, it doesn't necessarily make you a good driver. Just because you know what goes on under the hood of a machine doesn't mean that you can drive it safely. Um, so it's a bit the same with us. We, we know about uh, languages. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that we'll pick up any language and speak it, you know, within uh, seconds. So the situation was that uh, Ali and I had gone to Kenya and we'd been uh, studying at a Bible college um, before taking up an assignment with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Um, and uh, we were expecting to be in the Bible college for a couple of years, but we got pulled out of the program uh, ahead of time because there was an emergency in one of the language projects, one of the uh, Bible translation projects in Kenya. So this is a language, uh, it's called the Digo language. Um, they would say that their language is Chidigo. And uh, this particular community is 99.9 something percent uh, Muslim, at least nominally Muslim. And they're famed uh, throughout East Africa as, uh, yeah, magicians, you know, witch doctors, uh, things to do with demons and so on. And um, the people that were in that project from Wycliffe uh, Bible Translators uh, were going to be leaving and so they asked us if we'd be interested in uh, you know, stepping in and uh, working in that project. And uh, we went down and checked it out, and then we learned that uh, the particular community had a bit of a history that um, missionaries that went there tended to die or get sick um, or their kids got sick. And uh, it was a bit of a missionary graveyard. In fact, the people that we took over from um, had to leave uh, in a rush because the wife had breast cancer, uh, from which she, she did recover. So we went down there with a lot of uh, trepidation, but also a lot of prayer support, and I think that was crucial. Um, the uh, churches that supported us in the UK were praying for us a lot. Um, and so we got down there, and uh, I hadn't realized this before, but looking at um, Acts 16, um, 17 and 18, um, it says that uh, they will cast out demons in my name, they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And, yeah, we actually checked off all three of those, uh, demons, languages, and snakes. 
And uh, if you want to know about some uh, snake stories, speak to Hannah, our daughter. <laughs> so the situation was that we arrived in the project and uh, our predecessors had left in a rush. Um, normally with Wycliffe, uh, you expect to spend a good six months to a year learning the language uh, that you're going to be serving in uh, before you start doing any work at all. Uh, we were told that things were at a crucial stage and, um, yeah, could I be involved in checking uh, Matthew's gospel uh, within two months? And we all thought, everybody thought that that was just impossible to learn a language well enough in two months to actually start checking a gospel. Um, but Ali and I both experienced, um, I guess it's a gift of, uh, of yeah, speaking new languages, um, we both found that we were learning words, picking up the accent, um, learning the structures far faster than we had ever done in any other language learning experience. And, you know, between us we speak quite a few languages. But being there in that uh, uh, Digo village, we were learning uh, the Chidigo language faster and more easily than we'd ever experienced before um, to the point where... After a couple of months, I was able to sit down in a room of uh, Digo people and discuss um, how they'd been translating the Gospel of Mark, um, and that discussion went on in the Digo language, and I was able to follow and contribute, and uh, yeah, that really shouldn't have been the case, but um, I just put that down to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amen. All right, thanks, Steve. Let's thank Steve for sharing. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that we see in the book of Acts, particularly in chapter 2 here, uh, when the disciples are speaking in different languages, is that an outpouring, a result of the outpouring of the Spirit seems to be in that situation supernatural understanding. And that mirrors, I think, Steve's experience and Ali's experience with language and leads us to ask the third big question, and that is, you know, really, should tongues be for public or for private usage? Because some people advocate, well, it should be strictly a private prayer language, and others point to 1 Corinthians 14 and the correctives that Paul is issuing to a group of people assembled for corporate life and worship. And so, which is it? Is it public? Is it private? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2 and verse 4, where it seems to tilt in one direction. For if you have the ability, Paul says, to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. So here, the emphasis seems to be on a private usage. And in this example, tongues can be a means of prayer directly to the Lord. It's building and strengthening faith. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about it being used for the purpose of intercession where we don't know how to pray, uh, but the Spirit stirs up that sense of what to pray for and a connectedness with God's Spirit. Now, if it's private usage, like Paul's talking about here, a person is speaking to God, they're strengthened personally, then it doesn't need the gift of interpretation because it's addressed to God and not to other people. When Paul says, 
I thank God in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you put together. This is probably what he's referring to. It's not so much about ministry to others, but more about your relationship with God. And so there's definitely a place for that, to be strengthened personally and for tongues to have a private usage, because Paul is quite clear that that's something that's okay. Now, on a corporate worship setting, on the other hand, the other description of the gift in tongues of, in 1 Corinthians 14 is a much more public description. At the end of the chapter, in verses 26, 27, and 28, Paul says, when you meet together, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what's said, but everything that's done must strengthen all of you, so no more than two or three of you should speak in tongues, and you would speak one at a time, and then someone would interpret, must interpret what they say. But if no one's present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. So, here, clearly, Paul seems that to have a place and a value on the public usage of tongues in a corporate worship setting if it's paired with the gift of interpretation. And one of the things that I think is helpful for us to keep in mind as we have this discussion is remembering that Paul's writing to these people who have very specific sets of questions to him that we actually don't know quite what they were asking, but it's fairly safe to assume that they were probably trying to get him to help them understand where and how should this gift of tongues be used. And remembering that churches like Corinth likely met in homes and had all kinds of uh, different socioeconomic and different faith backgrounds coming in and engaging with them. And so I appreciate the way that Ben Schaefer talks about this on his blog, Yearning Heart's Journey. And he suggests that a healthy way the gift of tongues could find expression in a congregational setting is that a person might get an impression that God wants to speak to her or him in tongues. And then they would appropriately uh, discern the setting and consult with the leadership. And then, if that was appropriate, then begin speaking in tongues in front of the group or the church, expressing what God put on the heart of one of those who speaks. Meanwhile, others in the room would be asking God for the gift of interpretation for the one who speaks, and those with the gift especially, but it's also a good, that would be a good opportunity to pray and ask God if he would give you that gift. And then the one giving the speech in tongues should pray for interpretation as well. It's in 1 Corinthians 14, 13. And after that, someone would interpret or publicly explain the meaning of the group, uh, of the speech to the group or to the church. So in this way, if tongues was to find an expression in that means, it would be very, very similar to a gift of prophecy in that it's uh, something that God is revealing, but there's an extra step involved and in that it adds the need for interpretation. So what might be helpful for us is to actually realize, wait a minute, in the New Testament, we've actually come across three different possible manifestations of the gift of tongues. And here's why I think we actually get sometimes quite confused and want to argue a lot about it in the church, is because we flatten it and think about it all in a very singular experience. But 
there's actually been three different expressions that we've gone over this morning. So if you think about it, the first one has been this notion of speaking and understanding. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. That this is a very public context. There's unbelievers who are present. And it doesn't require interpretation because the Spirit is doing that for the purpose of evangelism or the advance of the kingdom. And so that seems to be what's going on in Acts chapter 2 or the case of what was happening with Steve and other people reporting this. That God gave them a supernatural sense of understanding, the ability to speak or understand a language in a way that was a gift of His grace. And that seems to be also what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, that that's where speaking in tongues can be a sign for those who do not believe. People in that people group can gather and say, how did you learn our language so quickly? And you can say, it's the gift of God. By His grace and Spirit, God is something that He wants to say to you. And so I'm here with this team to represent Him in that way. And so that can be one possible manifestation of the gift of tongues. And then we have uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2 and 4, we have praying in tongues. And that's that private expression of it, that there's intercession, there's edification, that there's worship happening. And when Paul describes this, he doesn't talk about a need for a gift of interpretation because it's for the purpose of being strengthened and to speak to God. And 1 Corinthians 14, 14, when Paul says this is happening to him, his spirit is praying, but he doesn't understand with his mind what he's saying. But Paul says, I'm going to do both. I'm going to pray in the spirit, and I'm going to pray with my mind as well. So that's a second possible manifestation. And then the third one is a speaking or understanding in tongues where there's a praying in tongues, and it's really more like prophetic utterances in tongues, prophesying in tongues, because it's a message that God wants to give to His church for the purpose of edification, and it always requires, in that sense, the gift of interpretation. And that probably is, in some settings, less common, not because it isn't valuable or that a church isn't charismatic, but Paul notes in the same chapter in 1 Corinthians 14, often prophecy is just a more direct means of encouraging and strengthening and comforting the entire church. And so Paul says things like in verse 19, in a church meeting, I'd rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language or tongue. And so by separating out these expressions of the gift into three unique manifestations. Hopefully that helps us understand and bring a sense of harmony to the purpose of the gift of tongues. Also, hopefully it helps us understand that there's a bunch of arguments that we don't need to have with people. And we don't need to sort of come to fisticuffs with brothers and sisters who, who are convinced and practice things differently than you might. Because our practice here at Jericho would allow for all three of these things when it would be done, as Paul says clearly at the end of chapter 14, in a way that's constructive and in a way that's done decently and a way that's done orderly and a way that brings life and unity and health and strength to the church. So one of the things then for us to wrestle with is, okay, so there might be a few different expressions or manifestations of the gift of tongues. So what? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for us here at Jericho? 
it would be unhelpful for you to go away and kind of go, oh, well, that was interesting. I guess I learned something new. But we want to actually press in and say, okay, not what do you want me to know about the gifts of the Spirit, God, but Father, what do you want me to do about it? And so I want to make a few just suggestions for possible takeaways or application for ways of taking theory and translating it into practice. So the first one around the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues would be that we need to name and be aware of our own prejudices, false expectations, or false dichotomies that we've set up. And some of us might need to free ourselves from some of those things. Because the gift of tongues has tons of baggage attached to it. And it might have tons of baggage for you personally, experientially. Maybe you have felt that this is a gift that God has given to you, and you've thought, well, I guess there's nowhere to express that. I don't even know how I'd go about doing that in a way, because maybe you were shut down, or you were marginalized at some point, because you were trying honestly to venture out into a gift that you felt like the Lord had given to you, and it was not welcomed or received. Maybe you have this gift and you've stepped into it and you've maybe not done it in a way that's humble and submitted and appropriate and decent and in order and that may have created some bitterness in your heart or in the hearts of people around you. Maybe today you've, seen, you've come into this place and you've seen the gift of tongues happen in all kinds of unhelpful ways. So maybe you came in with a judgmental attitude or hurt feelings towards those who may have this gift. And maybe today, one of the things that God's going to say to you is, you just need to let some of that go. You might be a arms crossed, this is ridiculous, I don't know about this gift kind of person. And maybe today, God's going to say to you, would you be willing to move from your arms crossed to your hands open and receive that maybe some of your brothers and sisters here have this gift and that they're using it in ways that are healthy and constructive. And so don't sit in judgment over them. Maybe you would say to yourself, oh, I don't want this gift. Sounds like it has a lot of baggage and trouble. And maybe today God would say to you, would you be willing, if I were to choose to give it to you, would you be willing to receive it? I would challenge you not to despise this or any other gifts that the Spirit might want to give you or those around you. Because the challenge that we keep bumping into when we have these conversations about unleashing the gifts of the Spirit is that we need to remain open to his work. And so you may need to spend some time just uh, in a few minutes when Ron and the team come and lead us in worship and song, just kind of actually asking God, God, what, what are there things in my past, in my history, uh, in my own life that I'm actually being judgmental about or that I'm unwilling to receive from you? And maybe you need to just repent of that. And yes, there have been inappropriate abuses and uses of this gift. That's why Paul had to spend a whole chunk of real estate in the New Testament addressing it. But don't let that be a barrier to you. Keep an open heart. Maybe even you want to evidence that in a physical posture in worship, just raising your hands and saying, Lord, I'm open to whatever gifts you desire to give to me. I want to free myself from prejudices, false expectations, and dichotomies. The other thing that I want to remind you about as we talk about this, is that the gifts that the Spirit gives, and particularly this gift or other gifts of expression supernaturally, they're not a substitute 
for using our minds because we're invited to pursue both. We're invited to know and experience God. So the last verse of 1 Corinthians 14 is helpful. Don't forbid speaking in tongues, but also make sure that everything's done properly. Make sure that it's done in a way that's orderly. So our desire is to press in to prayer more fully and more deeply. And so this Saturday morning, as elders, as staff, as ministry leaders, we're gathering for a prayer workshop. And then we'll have a guest speaker next weekend, uh, John, who's going to come and teach about gifts of intercession and what that looks like to pursue a listening heart to God. And so we want to pursue that and step in and exercise and involve both our minds and our spirits in the pursuit of what it is that God has for us. And the challenge I think here is that some of us have a bent one way or the other. So some of us are very intellectually wired and it's very, very hard for us to allow God by his spirit to touch our spirits and our emotions. And so we want to, others of us have um, a very open heart and spirit and sometimes have a harder time allowing God to speak to us through our minds, and we want to pursue and integrate both and ask the Lord to do a work. And it's going to be hard for us because if you're bent one way or the other, you're going to want to step out of your comfort zone a little bit in this conversation. But God often does things that may not appeal strictly to the way that you are wired. He often does things that may not appeal strictly to our rational cognitive linear bias here in North American Western culture. And tongues are kind of one of those things. So the ability of praying in tongues is given, I would say, to enhance our prayer life, not to limit it. It's an addition, not a substitute. The third thing is with regards to whatever gift of the Spirit that we've been talking about, we've been encouraging each other to say, you know what, just ask God. Pray and ask God for it. He may want to give it to you. But just because God gives you something as a gift doesn't mean that you don't actually also have to learn how to use or activate it. Doesn't matter what gift it is, there's a learning curve associated with it. And so make sure that you stay in a learning posture and in a heart that's open because this is true of each of the gifts of the Spirit that we've been discussing. May, God may want to pour out His grace and His goodness in your life and into our church in a wonderfully rich and diverse ways. But sometimes we have not because we ask not. So maybe today you want to just press in and ask God for a gift that he would choose to give you by his spirit. Maybe it's a gift of tongues. Maybe it's another gift. Maybe it's a gift of mercy. Maybe it's a gift of repentance or salvation, a gift of faith to believe God for a very difficult circumstance in your life in a supernatural way. And that's why we have a prayer team. We're going to have Constance and myself and Pastor Wally and Sylvia will be available. And we'd love to pray for you just at the sides and the back. And Ron and the team are going to come and they're going to lead us in three songs of response in worship. And maybe today you've just come and you say, you know what, I just... I don't even know what I need from God today. I just know that I've come with a heavy heart and a lot of stuff going on in my life. And we would love to stand with you and pray for you and ask God that he would give you wisdom and discernment for how he wants to touch your heart 
and your life in this season. Maybe you're facing a challenge situation at work or at school, and you just need God to touch your heart in a unique way. And so we'd invite you to come for prayer in that because we're all growing in this together. And when I say we're all growing in this, I mean we're all growing in our understanding of spiritual gifts and we're all growing in our understanding of what it means to live and walk in the gifts of the Spirit, undergirded and sustained always, 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 always by love for each other and love for God and knowing that God loves you and loves His church. Because 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, whatever else you want to talk about with spiritual gifts, love, 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 love is to be our highest goal. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to move into a time of singing and responding to God together.